Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Bryce Simon is in the building. Bryce is here and we're going to talk about sophomores in the NBA. Sophomores across the league are breaking out. They're playing well. Some have maybe taken a slight step back due to team situation or due to their own play. So we're going to talk about the ones that you need to know. Much like last week, the rookie class, we talked about 11. I think I sent off 11 to you today, right, Bryce? 12. We have 12. We have 12, which is not surprising because typically you need more sophomores as you know the year goes on. More guys break out. So we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about the sophomores in the 2023-24 NBA season. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about everything. That's it. Like We're going to talk about how everyone's playing. That's, that's the deal, Bryce. What's going on, buddy? Not much. All I know is that even 12 isn't going to be a long enough list. Just like when we did the rookies, we had people so upset that we didn't talk about this guy or that guy. There's going to be some guys. If, if we could going to talk about all of them, there's like 30 dudes to talk about. Probably Sam, we would be here all night and I would be divorced by the end of the episode. So for the sake of my marriage, for the sake of sanity for everybody and not doing a four hour podcast, we picked 12. That doesn't mean we don't like some of these other guys or they're not playing well. We just had to pick 12 and roll with it. It's exactly it. And it's not like we can't talk about the other ones later. Uh, exactly. They continue to play well throughout the course of the season. I promise we will get to them. And we have to save time at the end because we watched a movie that you recommended. <gasps> and I would like to discuss that with you. Well, let's talk about it real quick at the top. I mean, you oh, can't, can you can't leave oh. me waiting for an hour. Come on. What's going on? Isn't that how like podcasts and stuff work? Like, I feel like I was doing the teaser or whatever. Um, killer, the killer with with the the killer with Michael Fassbender. Uh, sure. Yeah. I don't know actors, but, um, (laughs) great movie for the first 97% of it. And then the complete and utter letdown in the final five minutes. That's not an unpopular take for what it's worth. I have heard that from a few people. I really enjoyed the ending. I would suggest everybody go watch The Killer. Uh, I saw it on a theater like the night of the James Harden trade. So please like go go see this thing on as big a screen as possible. This thing is an absolutely beautiful movie. Uh, the CGI work has kind of gone viral on some of it. Like that whole motorcycle scene at the beginning after the, yeah, let's yeah. call it the mistake. Um, mm-hmm. That's like all CGI. Apparently like that's not, yeah. Like the way that they designed that is crazy. You can go and see like the, the effects house, like put something out. It's amazing. Go watch the killer. It's incredible. Uh, please. It's probably, I would say it's like one of my five favorite movies this year for sure. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, talk about some movies I've seen at the end. Cause I watched a crazy Indonesian horror movie that nobody wants to hear about at the top of the show. Uh, 
I'm trying to think what else we've got today on the deck. I want to apologize to the listeners ahead of time here. I know I only did one episode last week. The reason, A, the holiday. B, I kind of upgraded some equipment and was struggling a little bit to set it up. Uh, New microphone, new camera, some extended hard drives, things like that, because I want to be able to do a bunch of tape breakdowns for you guys. And the good news for Orlando fans, which is where we're probably going to start this conversation, uh, is that I'm going to have a Jalen Suggs breakdown for you tomorrow on the YouTube channel. Jalen Suggs has been one of my favorite breakout players to watch in the NBA this season. People will know that I have loved Jalen Suggs for a long time as a basketball player. His defensive game this season has been absolutely phenomenal. I think there's a very real case. He has been the best defensive guard in the league this season, point blank period. So I am so, so, so excited to talk about him. I am really, really excited uh, to talk about Orlando here at the top of the show. One final programming note here for this episode. Bryce and I are aware of the situation that is happening with Josh Giddy. Uh, Josh Giddy is currently being looked into, according to the reports, by the NBA regarding an improper, uh, potentially, allegedly improper relationship with a minor. We're not going to talk about that today because it just feels like there are so many things to play out with that still. Obviously, if what he's accused accused of happened, it's gross and it is terrible and nobody is in favor of it. I will say that I think in general, people get very upset and make equivalences of how media cover other things, like, for instance, the John Morant issue. I've seen that kind of equivalency happening online. The reason why people aren't talking about the giddy thing is because we just need more proof and more evidence. Like we can all agree that what giddy is accused of is worse than John Morant, just having a firearm in videos. But John Morant did that like on camera and we've seen it. We know it happened with giddy. We don't know a lot still that's why this has been a pretty sensitive subject and i trust me like i'm the first person to crush media when this like stuff breaks and i feel like things have been discussed poorly that's why there is still some hesitancy i think to discuss this and that's where this stands at this point until we know more i'm probably gonna hold off on discussing it just because you know, a Twitter account that has since been deleted, like posted these things and we don't have the context. There's just a lot we don't know right now. So we're, we're going to hold off on that um, until we know more. Yeah. I was just going to say, we've discussed this and I think we take very hard stances on this. And as you said, if what is being alleged is true, it's disgusting and we will take a very hard stance on it. Some of the stuff we have talked about in the past, Sam, there was legitimate reporting, legitimate police reports, all of those type of things for us to work off of. Right now, we just don't have those things in this situation. I talked to somebody down in Oklahoma City just yesterday to be like, hey, where are things at? And that's kind of what they said as well is like, they're just, we don't have those type of substantiated things yet to really form an opinion. But I just want to reiterate, we have the same stance on Josh Giddy. If this were true, just like anybody else we've said, if it was true, that it's disgusting and wrong and we will stand against it. 
Yeah, hundred percent. But we need need to know a little bit more. Uh, let's move in to the portion where we talk about the Orlando Magic, though, and we're going to talk about Paulo Bancaro. Paulo Bancaro this season. I mentioned on a previous show that I thought Paulo really struggled to start the season. If you look at his first four games. It was rough. Uh, I thought that Franz Wagner was clearly their best player through the course of the first couple of weeks of the year. If you remove those first four games from Paulo's season, though, Bryce, do you know what Paulo Bancaro's numbers are? Uh, Not including the Sunday night game that I think literally like just ended uh, before we started recording. Um, so just knowing what he's averaging right now, if you take away a slow start, let's go 23, seven and five and a half. So it's at 22.7 rebounds, four assists, shooting 51% from the field, 49% from three, 70% from the foul line. He has been fantastic. The turnovers still remain an issue, but. I think he has been really, really great over the course of these last three weeks, particularly. And what I want to call out as well is I still think there are some like defensive holes that he'll have to fix. Like I think his off ball awareness could stand to be a little bit better defensively. I think he's been good on the ball defensively uh, so far this season. You look at the way Orlando is defending. I think they have been, probably if not the most impressive defensive team among the best defensive teams in the league. I'll I'll look at the numbers while I'm talking here. Uh, They are currently first in defensive rating at 107.2. And I think the big thing that's worth noting here is like Paulo's defense was a concern at Duke. I didn't love his defense in the first year. I thought he went to team USA played really well as like a switchable five man defensively although the rim protection still wasn't quite there he's never gonna be like some five man who swats two shots a game that's just not gonna be his game but I think the biggest thing that's worth taking away from this is that Paulo can be a piece of an elite defense yes that's kind of where I'm at here even if he's not the driving force like I think Jalen Suggs has been a driving force I think Franz Wagner has been better than Paulo on the defensive end to this point uh I, I think that like Goga Batadze in his minutes, he, he's been really good defensively, which I, I was, I was in on Goga Hive pre-draft uh, in 2019. I, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad I still might have a couple of shares of stock on Goga Hive. Real quick, real quick. And I don't mean to stop you flowing here, but Batadze and Mo Wagner and what they bring this team at the five with Wendell Carter Jr. out, I tweeted this out the other day, has been so impressive. Every Magic game I turn on, Sam, I'm like, man, Bataze is playing really well. And then I'm like, listen, Franz Wagner is a dude, incredible, gets tons of love. I get it. I understand it. Mo can really hoop every game. Yep. I'm like, man, Mo is really good. They're getting really good production from the five spot without their starting five, man. It's incredible. No, I, I really have loved what Orlando has done this season, but obviously we want to talk about Paulo here. Yep. What has been your biggest takeaway on Paulo Bancaro to this point? Yeah, so Paulo was a guy I had number one in that class. I was super excited. I thought he could be like 
the focal point of an offense. I thought you could run an offense through him. And the thing is, Orlando doesn't have to, right? Because they have Franz. And so I think at times I still wonder like those two working off of each other. There was a play in one of the games I watched where Paulo had a really nice off the ball cut where obviously Franz is an insane passer and hits him, but they can stagger those two guys as well, which I love that Orlando yeah. does. And I drives me crazy whenever coaches at any level don't stagger their guys in that way. I think you hit on it defensively. No, he's not going to be the driving force of the best defense in the NBA. But if you can be a part of that, that still matters. Like you just can't be an ultimate negative and be a part of the best defense in the NBA. So I, I think he can be that at the very least. I think he's getting to the free throw line. He's 17th in the NBA in free throw attempts. I think with his shot, I'm really interested to watch it throughout the season because what I think is he actually shoots better when he's contested because it forces him to really extend on his <laughs> shot, Sam. Yeah. And I know it sounds crazy, but the guarded catch and shoot three pointers, small sample is actually six of 10. It's a little bit better. So I know that sounds crazy, but you have a tent. Some guys can short arm it in the, when they're wide open. Mm. He's really forced to extend and follow through when there's a contest. And I think there might be something to that. So I don't know what his overall contested numbers are. Maybe there's numbers that don't back that up. Just something I put in my notes. But I, I think he's been good. I, I like Paulo, And I just freaking love this Magic team. I truly do. For the people at home, let, let's just do a quick little, quick little aside here. Bryce Simon, what did you shoot in college from three? So the year that I was not hurt... I shot 37% from three. Um, don't look at the two-point percentage because it was disgusting. And then the <laughs> next year, the next, yeah, yeah, bad. The next year, I didn't shoot very well from three, I don't think. I was playing legitimately on a torn ACL. Like, that's a story for yeah. another day and, and all of that. Like, it, I don't need to tell it today. But my junior year, whenever I was healthy, I believe I looked this up the, actually the other day. I think I shot 37% from three on a few attempts per game. And we were, we played a very, very slow pace. Yep. Uh, Bryce Simon, over the course of 160 attempts playing college basketball, shot 36.3% from three. We're talking to a shooter, baby. We know what's going on. Maybe. We know what's going on. Uh, The thing that really stands out to me about Paulo just continues to be the defensive attention that he gets. Like He is the guy that teams try to stop. All due respect to Franz Wagner, uh, he does get a good defender every night. It does feel like teams still send their best guy for the most part to Paulo. The fact that over the course of these last 12 or so games, Paulo has been able to take on that load. The turnovers are still an issue. They're undeniably a real factor here. And they're probably to me, the biggest thing he has to get under control moving forward. But the fact that he's able to create shots against tough turnovers, he continues or against tough defenders. He continues to be a very real real mismatched nightmare every single time that teams have to face up against him. It's a real, it's a real issue for opposing teams trying to manage. Do we put a smaller guy on him? Do we put a big on him? I feel like they haven't, I, I still don't know who the best guy to guard Paulo is, which is more of a credit to Paulo than it is to like uh, a hindrance on the, like a, a negative statement on the other teams, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, he just is that matchup because you have to match his size or he's just going to take you into the mid post, right? And then just yep. do work there. What What's the ultimate archetype or role for Paulo, do you think, Sam? Does he end up being, again, I had him number one because I thought he was the guy in that class could be the hub of an offense. Legitimately, yep. you're running everything through him. Now, maybe he doesn't have to do that, right? Because Franz is so good. Do you still see that? And then the other thing is, because there's a lot of talk about this with Team USA, do you think they need to experiment more with the small ball five stuff? Do you think that that's something that they need to do? Because as you just outlined, he's already creating advantages and mismatches anyway, playing where he's yeah. playing. Yeah, I'll look up some of the numbers when they do play him as a small ball five. But I would continue to explore that for sure, because I would want different types of mismatch potential depending on the situation in important moments, right? Like say you're facing the Clippers or something and they decide to go small. Yeah. I would love the ability to just go, Hey, shoot over the top of PJ Tucker, Paulo. Like that sounds great to me. I think there are a lot of really interesting potential things that you can do with Paulo to make him a mismatch guy. I had Paulo at three because I was not necessarily somebody that thought like a great team could run everything through him. I thought he would be more of a all-star level, you know, 22, 23, 24 point per game guy who created in a few different scenarios and all that stuff. Right. Um, I'm starting to come around a little bit, I guess I would say. I would like to see him become just a continually better passer as he continues to age and grow and mature into his game. He's still 21 years old. I mean, God, he's still so, so young. It's the fact that he's able to do what he's doing now is just crazy to me. Uh, He's going to be pretty damn close to an all NBA player. I had Chet at one in that class. I still would have Chet at one in that class. But like, um, I'd certainly have Paulo too, though. And I didn't have Paulo too at the time. And I I think he's probably going to make all NBA teams at this point. I think what's exciting about those two is you can play those two in so many different actions, Franz and Paolo, where either one of them can run the pick and roll, either of them could play in the other spot. Franz can really pick and pop if you wanted to. Paolo could probably do some short roll stuff. Like There's just so many interesting things. And I always get excited whenever you tell me a team's two best players, especially young players like the magic can work together in actions like that it's not you don't have to really really squint to see like how can these guys play off of each other yes you want them to be the primary guy and stagger them at times but they can also play together and you can do some fun things that way especially when it's ball screen stuff obviously you know that's a a lot of today's nba but the way to actualize that is to have shooters around them yes and yes that's where it's going to be interesting for them because Jalen Suggs is making shots right now. He's at 36% from three so far this season. As long as that continues to happen, as long as uh, Anthony Black improves his shot, uh, Cole Anthony is a guy that I trust to make shots at least. Agreed. The The question is like what you do with Fultz, who I don't know if I believe is ever going to be like a three-point shooter. Maybe they do decide to let him go. Maybe they decide to trade him this season and on his expiring deal, they bring somebody back, right? Like I said when I did the Zach Levine thing that maybe they could do something like, uh, I think I said like Gary Harris, uh other guys, et cetera, et cetera. Plus Jet Howard in a first for Levine. Maybe you try and go to Chicago and say like, Hey, we'll give you Fultz instead. And you can try and build around Fultz as like an interesting player who is still like a really, really good 
piece for somebody. Fultz is great. And you try and bring in a Zach Levine to help the offense because that that is the piece of Orlando that is going to continue to be a question. They are still 21st coming into tonight in offensive efficiency. It's hard. It does feel like Paulo and Franz are operating in a phone booth a lot of the time. And that's okay, especially because, and this is the thing that I have loved that Orlando has done most. They've empowered Jalen Suggs to just go get the ball, grab it on an inbounds, get the ball, grab it and just absolutely push as fast as you can. If you get a shot, great. If not, you're pressuring the defense, bring it out. Let's try and make things happen that way. Right. I love, love, love that Jamal Mosley has empowered Suggs to just be that aggressive downhill force that he's capable of being. And which is why I loved him in the pre-draft process. Yeah, I'll say I have come around on Jalen Suggs the more I've watched this team this year. I wasn't a huge Jalen Suggs guy. I mean, I like didn't not have him in the lottery or something like that, but he wasn't necessarily my favorite. And yeah. I every time I watch, it's another guy that I come away from that team where I'm just like, this dude really guards. I actually kind of buy the shot, like just the mechanics and how it looks. I, I think it's yeah. going to go in. So uh, yeah, I'm buying Jalen Suggs. I love Anthony Black. Jonathan Isaac has has done some nice things. Like I. I I love watching the Orlando Magic. They're a team I really enjoy watching play basketball. Yeah, no, I, I've really, really loved them too. Uh, I'm trying to see here how many minutes they have played. They have not played many minutes with Paulo uh, as the lone five man out there so far. Uh, it, you know, maybe you include Mo Wagner in this on some level, right? Like, who would you can? I guess you'd consider Mo the five. Yeah, it's him that, Paulo, right? Yeah, I, I, I would. That's what I said. Like, I was thinking about it. This would have been the time to do it with Wendell Carter Jr. out. And every game I watch, it seems like Bataze and Mo Wagner are getting all the minutes. One of those two guys is always on the floor, so there can't be a ton of minutes left for Paolo to play the five. So the reason that that is the case, if you look at the Paulo in Mo minutes without Wendell Carter or Goga Bataze, they've played 108 of those minutes. They're actually a minus 18 in those minutes, a 107.7 offensive rating and a 125.9 defensive rating. Uh, part of that could be, you know, who knows, right? Uh, Gavin G in the comments is saying that tonight uh, against Charlotte, Paulo played the five the majority of the fourth quarter. Interesting. I haven't watched that yet, so I will I definitely either. watch that tape now. Now I'm like really excited to watch that now. Especially um, if Mark Williams was on the floor for those minutes in the fourth quarter. Definitely. Uh, but... I've loved watching Orlando this year. They've been one of my favorite teams in the league. I love these guys that are able to come in and just be difference makers. You know, we haven't talked about Jonathan Isaac yet. You know, as Boyd Givens brings up, he's been closing games. He has been closing games occasionally. I know Isaac, you know, didn't play tonight. They're trying to keep his body fresh as much as they possibly can. But I love the idea of Jonathan Isaac coming in 15 minutes a night and just being like a real defensive. Yeah you know, wrecking ball, which is the way they've utilized him. Uh, I, I love everything I've seen from the magic this year. I think they've done incredibly well. They just have to find the offensive upgrade that makes sense. Yep. I agree. Like I think, so this is what we can close on with Orlando. Where do you place them right now in the Eastern conference hierarchy? So they're, they're currently 12 and five after tonight. So I would have Milwaukee. Yep. Philly. Yep. Boston. Yep. Regular season hierarchy. 
you have regular season in terms of making the playoffs or the play in or what, you know, what have you. Like, I think you could make an argument. I don't know that I would yet that they're, they're right there in the next tier for me. And that's a higher tier than I would have guessed coming into the season. Um, so I would have said, I would have said Cleveland was better than them coming into the season. Probably New York was definitely better than them coming into the season. This isn't demeaning those teams. It's Orlando has taken yet another jump that we saw at the end of last season. They've carried over into this season, maybe even got better. And so they're right there in that next tier for me. I completely agree with you. Uh, I would have Boston, Milwaukee, Philly ahead. I think I them in Miami is interesting. I think that like from a regular season perspective, given the way that Miami has handled Jimmy Butler's minutes so far this season, they're still winning even with those minutes being handled that way uh, where Jimmy so far this season, I'm just getting the total here. Jimmy has only played 466 minutes in 14 games so far this year, which is completely reasonable. Uh, I, I get why they're trying to minimize the wear and tear on Butler's body. Bam has taken a big step forward for them. He's been good. You know, been really, really valuable. Obviously, Hawkes has been very valuable. I really like the Haywood Highsmith minutes as well. Um, Hero, when he's been out there, has been quite good. I think a full-strength Miami is ahead of them. Yep. So I, I would say Orlando probably like in the tier of you know New York, Cleveland, and them. Atlanta will be interesting without Jalen Johnson here for a month. Uh, Jalen has been really, really important for what Atlanta has done. I would put them above Charlotte, Washington, Detroit, Chicago, obviously. I would put them above Toronto personally, and I would put them above Brooklyn right now. What about about Indiana? Because they're like complete opposites of Indiana. (laughs) I feel like Indiana is probably in that tier with Orlando, but I would have them like a bit. I'd have them like at the bottom of that group because the defense is as big of a mess as it is. Yeah. But the reason I bring this up is that let's call it, there are four teams fighting from fifth to eighth. And there is a drastic difference between finishing sixth and finishing seventh in the playoffs. Now I think Orlando is an upgrade away from being in that top six. If they go get a real offensive difference maker, they will really be in that top six group, in my opinion. So I'm excited to see if they decide to do that and kind of push things forward in their timeline. Yeah, it'd be really, yeah, if they go are, are like true big buyers at the deadline or before, you know, whatever, December 15th, January 15th, when some of the league wide guys start becoming available where these things can start happening a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. man, like it, it seems like it may be time to go ahead and, and go for it, you know? And I mean, you want to do it smartly. You don't want to sell like the future, but you seem to have all the young pieces you need and they kind of seem ready to really start competing, getting playoff experience. Even if it's not winning a series, you go play a six game series, even if you end up losing it and then you keep building it. It, it seems like they're ready for that now. I agree. Let's take a quick commercial break. And then we're going to dive into the rest of these uh, sophomores. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. 
What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Okay, the next sophomore that I want to talk about, Bryce, mm -hmm. is Jalen Williams. Okay. I think Paulo has been certainly better and more important than Jalen Williams has to Oklahoma City this year. Uh, I will say that if you look at like any of the efficiency numbers along those lines, J-Dub has been better than Paulo, and I think that like a big piece of it in terms of why that is is that paulo gets the best defender every night he gets so much more responsibility on his shoulders whereas j-dub is playing with shea gilgis alexander chet holmgren all these dudes right jalen williams though has been utterly phenomenal and fantastic since he has taken the court uh after that brief injury last season, uh, obviously he's dealing, if I remember correctly right now with like, is it like a hip injury, something like that, but he's averaging 17 and a half points, four rebounds, four assists, only 2.2 turnovers shooting 52% from the field, 37% from three, 88% from the line. He is just as complete a player in his second year is I think you can be on the wing. 
Uh, he takes on tough defensive assignments. He is consistently good as an off-ball defender. He can create a shot. They run him as like a point guard from time to time. They can run him as a screener. There's there's just nothing on the court that he really can't do right now, which I think makes him almost as important as anybody in Oklahoma City outside of Shea and Chet. He's definitely more important than everybody outside of Shea and Chet in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I agree. And I, I almost feel bad for Jalen Williams because he came on last year. You know, he was undersold in the NBA draft process, right? We all know this. And then he has a great rookie year. Everybody's talking about him. And then SGA is again in the MVP conversation and Chet is rookie of the year right now. And it's sometimes easy to forget to talk about Jalen Williams. But in terms of sophomore, he's second in points, third in field goal attempts, first in free throw percentage if there's volume, fifth in the sixth, sixth in usage. If you go to synergy, all of his top four play types, he's good or very good. His finishing at the rim is even better this year. You know what I love? I love watching Jalen Williams run a ball screen and the nuance he has with his handle, Sam. A secondary defender comes and he has this little just ability to put the ball. He doesn't in and out to go by the initial defender. It's to keep it away from the active hands of the secondary defender. Not everybody does that or is comfortable with that in ball screen situations, navigating in a little bit of a phone booth or whatever. Every time I turn a game on, he's doing that in the ball screens, but like he does it on and off the ball. He's, Against the Pistons, he goes back door. He attacks a closeout. He goes isolation. And then yeah. you talked about his ability to guard just everybody because he's so long and he is strong. He matched up with Wimby in that game. And then I know I defer to Pistons talk sometimes, but just because that's – Isaiah Stewart is a big physical dude, and Jalen Williams gave nothing, nothing in a post-up yeah. to Isaiah Stewart just physically. He, You said it all. It's so impressive. The level of how complete his game is yes. for somebody that is this young is really quite staggering. Like we're within still, I, I don't think he's played, has he played 82 regular season games yet? Like it'd be close because he missed a little bit of time last year. Uh, no, he's played, he's played 88. So he's played 88 regular season games yep. and we're just at the point now where he's kind of indispensable to everything Oklahoma city does because without him, they're going to struggle to guard both on and off the ball a little bit like on perimeter guys. I know that Lou Dort is great and Shea has really grown into being, you know, an awesome perimeter defender. But if you have like a good scoring wing, he has that size and length to be able to match up with them in a real tangible way. Offensively, you miss the secondary creation because, you know, Shea, you want to be able to run him off the ball as much as you can. But on the ball, he's a capable shooter, so they can close with him on the ball and then have that secondary creation out there. It, it It's hard to find a flaw is where I'm at. Like, every time I watch him, I just think we're looking at a many-time all-star who continues to impact winning at an exceptionally high level. He is the perfect player to have next to Shea and Chet. There's no, like, I can't think of a better archetype that I would want to have there, I think. He's really just staggeringly good, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is just another team. I was going through my game notes, so I keep 
notes for every full game I watch. And then I have Google folders for every single team. And I wanted to watch the Thunder Sixers game, or I believe it was Mavs and who did the Mavs and Clippers. And I looked and I was like, okay, whichever team I haven't watched as much is the game I'm going to choose. And I looked, I've watched like eight games of the Thunder and it's because I just freaking love watching the Oklahoma City Thunder play. And so I had to watch the Mavs and Clippers, even though it was a blowout, just because I hadn't watched those teams recently. And they're just so much fun. That young trio, man, that young trio is incredible. It's so much fun. I was talking to somebody from Oklahoma City and they talked about the swagger and the confidence he has on and off the floor as well. And that's, that's super important, Sam. Like, I know it, it's hard to see all the time if you're not around it, but that's such an important component. Uh, you brought well, up my three. Go ahead. I, I brought that up last week. People, I think, look at Jalen Williams and see like this guy who's like playful, like he off the court. He's like super relaxed and like super chill. I'm telling you guys, like that dude is competitive as hell. Like he he's like petty in like the best possible ways. Like it's good to be petty. I'm telling you, like people that know him will tell you like he is like a great, like unbelievable dude, but also competitive in every single way that you want him to be in terms of being able to bring it on a night in night out basis in the NBA. And the other thing, like you mentioned it in terms of just what makes him so impactful and effective. He's so fucking big. Yeah, he's so big. He is six foot six with seven foot two wingspan. He like physically looks like Jimmy Butler out there when I watch him, like in terms of his pace of play, his ability to use his body, his understanding of how to use his body. Jimmy is Jimmy. He's a better player. Like Jimmy's going to be a hall of famer and you know, whatever Jalen Williams is going to be remains to be seen. But just in the way that he uses his frame, like you said, really, really well, I think at the top here, the intricacies of how he runs ball screens is actually very reminiscent to me of a younger Jimmy Butler as well. When I watch him, that that's the guy that comes to mind like every single time. And again, like even if he's not that, even if he's 85% of Jimmy Butler or something like that, that's still an all-star. I think Jay Williams is going to make, you know, multiple all-star games as well. And the reason I wanted to bring up that nuance in the ball screen with navigating the help defender with the intricate dribble is sometimes we look at someone like Jalen Williams and we're just like, oh, he's big and he's strong and he's long and he can bully. And we forget to talk about the skill level that goes along with it because some guys do just do that. And that's okay. Some guys, that is their peak of who they are as a player. And it's still efficient in the NBA, or I shouldn't say efficient, but effective. Jalen Williams is more than just like, hey, super physical and long and all the measurables he has intricacies and nuance to his game as well and that's what makes him or at least gives him a chance to be truly special and has been special for 82 or excuse me 88 games of his career so far it's 100 percent right uh yeah like this is the kind of player that translates exceptionally well to the playoffs which is where oklahoma city is going to end up this year uh he's going to guard He's going to take on ball screens. He's going to attack. He's going to knock down shots. Again, like this is this is a franchise building block. He's going to be a max player. He's going to be everything that you hope for if you're Oklahoma City when taking him uh, in the late lottery in 2022. Where do you want to go next? I think those two guys, in my opinion, uh, I'll couch this, are very clearly like the two guys that I watch and I'm like, those are the two best guys in this draft class right now. 
um, outside of Chet Holmgren, who is a rookie and has been moved back. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. when I watch those two, I, I think they're the two best. Who do you want to go to next? Let's go to Jabari. Um, solely because that's the order and I have OCD. So when you try to jump around <laughs> the Google document, it, <laughs> is okay but it really stresses me out so let's go back to jabari and if you would prefer to go in order from now on that would really help my stress level so thank you yes we will go in order from now on uh bryce give me give me some jabari smith takes because i've liked what i've seen from jabari this season Uh, going from where he was last year especially through the first like 60 or so games uh, to where this season, I think he's been like a really effective, impactful starting caliber NBA player. That's a leap that I think not many people recognize as enormous. It, it is like truly a difficult, enormous leap. So I want to start by just giving Jabari an immense amount of credit. Yeah, let's just look at the raw numbers. Essentially, the one less field goal attempt a game, he's 10% better from the field. Essentially the same amount of three-point attempts. He's jumped his percentage by over 70. Two-point percentage, obviously, then is better. Rebounds up a little bit, all that. Like, it's just the efficiency. And, you know, this was a guy where making jump shots, we all knew it, right? We all knew that making jump shots is going to be what he has to do. And we'll talk about the off the bounce game and the free throw attempts and those struggles at some point, but let's give him his flowers first. He didn't make jump shots last year at summer league. He may have been the best player and you could just see, like I said, the swagger, the confidence. What I was going to say is you said earlier, I was a 36% college three point shooter. I don't mean to sound wrong. I was a way better shooter than 36%. I lacked confidence. So I always look for guys that have confidence. I feel like I could outshoot anybody if you just put us on the court in an empty gym, no pressure, but we all know that's not how the game of basketball is played. And that was my major shortcoming as a three-point shooter. Jabari seemed like he struggled with that last year. I saw him at Summer League with the swagger. It looks like it's carried over into the season at least a little bit. And that's huge for him because he's going to have to make tough contested jump shots. That's That's his game right now until he improves or grows. What I'm interested in is how impactful is the defense? Because I've always believed in Jabari as a three-point shooter, just shooter in general. Why I had him number two that year, mistake, sorry, Chet, is because I thought the defense was going to be super high-level impactful. I didn't think it was that good last year. Do you think he's made strides on that front this year? Because I've talked to some people who do think that he's been better on the defensive end this year. I do think he's been better. Uh, There are still some moments away from the ball where I feel like he gets a little caught up, like in the wash uh, of what's happening around him. I think on the ball, he's been pretty effective. Uh, This team is again, like the biggest thing here is like Houston has been really good defensively to this point, right? Like they are third currently in defensive rating. At the very least, we know that Jabari Smith can be a part of an effective defense now, which is a critical piece of it. Having said that, again, I agree with you why Jabari at number two, apologies to Paulo, was I thought he could be a really, really good defender. Yeah. I think he has been, I think he has grown this year as a defender. I think last year his off-ball defense was actually quite poor, and now it's manageable, uh, at least. But I, I think that he's been better than what he was last season. I think he's taken a step forward there, I guess is what I would say. 
Yeah, that, and that's kind of where I'm at as well. My expectations were just so high for him coming in for the reasons we just outlined. So seeing improvement, though, is good. I, I still worry a little bit about his hips in terms of like how yeah. much can he drop his hips and really move and how much versatility and that matters does that offensively as well in terms of him being able to create yes. shots being able to push because i've said before one of the best first steps that you can create is with a good jump shot jsj should get hard closeouts which would allow him then to attack said closeout and get to the rim but you still have to be able to play through contact and play through that uh that contact in the second phase. And if you can't drop your hips and really be strong in that, it's a little bit tough. His free throw attempts, I think have actually gone down this year. And so I, that's one area. I, I just don't know if he ever Which gets there. You, or not. Would, I, you like, would expect by the way, like you, you given the guys that they added, given that sure, Fred, sure, sure. And bleed is there. Like he just does not have as much offensive usage on usage. his plate. Uh, and look, I don't know if that backs up in terms of the numbers. Like I'll look it up it, while we're it, talking. No, he's, he's outside the top 10 in usage percentage of sophomores. So I don't know what that went from last year to this year, but it, it was, it was the same number last year to this year, but uh, it feels like if so, like it's hard because Jabari last year, I thought like they got him easy shots and he just missed. Right. Sure. Like if you go back and you look at the tape, like the thing with Jabari was, I don't know why the shot isn't going in right now. Um, <laughs> He's a good shooter. Like we know he's a good shooter. It's just not falling. That's what I think was so disappointing about him throughout, you know, a, a big portion of last season, but now it's falling and he's capable of being like a really good scalable off ball player. As long as the catch and shoot three falls, there is, in my opinion, real value in just having a second guy out there who is six foot 10, who can shoot, just defensively, right? Like it does take up space. Like he yep. is big and like is bigger than having like a six foot six out guy out there. Like, you know, I'm trying to think um, Jalen, Jalen Williams plays way bigger than six, six because of the length and strength. But like, you know, like he's, he's bigger than Keegan Murray. Keegan's like six, eight, but like he plays bigger and longer than Keegan, even though I've liked Keegan's defensive growth this year that we'll talk about here momentarily. So I say all this to say like there's value in having like bigger dudes out there. Yeah. And bigger dudes that can stretch the floor. Um, he's excellent if, via synergy on cuts right now. That's a good sign. Like if you can add something, if you're a true off the ball player, how many off the ball things can you do beyond just catch yeah. and shoot? Can you be an impactful offensive rebounder? Can you cut at the right time? And I will say on a very small sample size, just 24 uh, attempts, he's 79% at the rim this year. So that means when he is getting to the rim, he is finishing at least. So that is a good, that's in, just in the half court. So if that's taking out transition and the other stuff. So just, so that that's a good number as well. So maybe that is the growth where the volume isn't going to go up, but if he's efficient in the ones he does get, there's something to that. So I, I really like, he took a lot, a lot of heat last year. And I, I guess rightfully so as, as he struggled, I love seeing these guys come back as sophomores in their second season and really, really perform well, really improve. I would love to know this. I would love to just be able to ask Jabari, how much do you think summer league impacted this at all? Like was the performance yeah. at summer league impactful a lot? Not at all. Does it matter? Or was there something he took away from that? Just confidence wise going into the season. Cause I don't know if I have an opinion one way or the other, I would be fascinated to know his answer though. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that it does. And you know, Christian, 
Antelok brings up like Jabari has been seeing a bit more usage operating from the low block recently. Maybe that becomes a consistent thing as we move into like where the next steps for growth are to me, it's going to have to come there uh, using him as like a mid post high post, you know, shoot over the top guy, yep. uh, low block post, you know, turnarounds and fadeaways and things like that. Because at the end of the day, he doesn't quite have the doesn't quite have the hip flexibility length uh, the hip flexibility or like this to be able to do it in my opinion yeah no i think the mid post i think that's one area i really liked is he would just catch it at 15 feet and he could jab step you one dribble fade away you know whatever and he's making all these incredibly difficult shots but he's doing it from that area as well where it's kind of some sort of an isolation so if you can run offense through him or with him on ball just a little bit obviously that adds a little bit of value as well so i think right now it's around the mark how efficient can you be when you do get to the rim how many of these mid post situations can you be effective scorer in how far can you take the defense can you become a really good cutter offensive rebounder those type of things and now all of a sudden you increase each of those just a little bit and the shootings there you become pretty darn valuable as an offensive player yeah sorry about that i got a couple of calls because i forgot to put my phone (laughs) on do not disturb what a what a disaster move on my part bryce uh okay next up it looks like on the uh document is keegan murray uh look keegan has not made shots this year i think is the easiest way to say it i think he's actually shown important growth uh defensively and I think has looked a lot better on that end. And that's a really, really important piece of what I think his ceiling outcome is, is like being able to take on tougher defensive assignments in some respect and hopefully be able to shoot. I don't really feel worried about Keegan eventually being able to knock down shots. I think he will. And I think that eventually that will come. Uh, Having said that, like it, it's been a struggle to this point so far. He's averaging uh, basically about the same amount of points as he averaged last year and is doing so just on way worse shooting because for some reason he's shooting 29% from three so far. And, you know, that my guess is that will change. I know that like he's kind of suffered a couple of, you know, back spasms. I don't know exactly what's going on with his back, but like, I know that like he's missed a game or two here, uh, if I remember correctly. So I hope that that changes. And I think that eventually, as long as it gets there, Keegan will shoot again. And the growth he's shown as a rebounder and as a defensive player to this point will probably transfer into him being overall a more effective player. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense to challenge him defensively and really see how far you can take him on that end of the floor, especially for this Kings team. Yeah, I'm buying the shot. Listen, I was a little bit lower on Keegan than others, but I mean, he absolutely proved me wrong in his rookie season. I I didn't see the movement shooting from Keegan Murray coming out of Iowa. I I thought he was a good shooter, like just catch and shoot, feet are set. But what he's been able to do off movement and those type of things. Yeah, like he's going to shoot. I, I don't think he's going to shoot 29% for the entire season. Maybe he only gets to 35 or 36 for the whole year because this start of the season of 13 games has been as bad as it has. 
but you can go back to, I don't know if this was a preseason game. My notes are, you could see that they're going to have major, major usage for him and role for him going back earlier in the season where he's just doing multiple things. He comes off a zoom action, curls, had a poster dunk. He had a mid-range fadeaway. He uh, had one of those like KD swing through, tough, soft touch finish. Like they were just doing all sorts of different actions with him where you knew it was more than just Keegan catch and shoot. They want him to be a focal point. And he's averaging more three-point attempts this season. I believe, yeah, he's first in the sophomore class by like over two attempts per game on three-point attempts. He's 25th in the entire NBA in number of three-point attempts or per game, I guess. I shouldn't say number. So he's a guy that's getting a lot of attempts and I think he's going to eventually shoot his way out. If it is a back thing, back things are not something to mess with, man. Like those, those will mess you up. So hopefully he can get that figured out, get healthy. But I think Keegan's going to be fine as a shooter. I'm interested, Sam, to see how good he is defensively. Can he really take these matchups? It's one thing to take them. It's another thing to be effective with them. And so I'm still, I want to see more to see if I truly buy him being that level of guy on the defensive end. Yeah, I think that that is all reasonable for sure. Having said that, Keegan is shooting 28% 28% right now on unguarded catch and shoot threes, according to synergy. Like that's just not going to hold. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Like that's just not going to, that that's not going to continue. Like he's going to shoot better on those shots at some point. I, I'm not at all that worried about it, I guess. Right. No, like you, I, you're not, I'm not concerned no, about that. Right. No, like I listen, if he fooled us for a whole rookie season, then I, some of this stuff is like, are you? what are you willing to be wrong about? I'm willing to sit here and be wrong about Keegan Murray fooling us for an entire rookie season with his three-point shooting. I will buy into, this is the anomaly. He's actually a good shooter. It's going to bounce back. And I'm willing to be wrong on that if he just completely fooled the entire league and fooled all of us with what he did as a rookie. Maybe he's not a career above 40% from three, but he's better than whatever you just said, 20-some percent on unguarded catch and shoots. It just seems crazy for him to be like, if you go and you sort by like the guys that have taken at least 20 unguarded catch and shoot threes, which is still a small sample, but like, it's what you can use. Right. Um, Keegan's 28% is like the 20th worst mark in the league right now. Like he's in the range of like Asar Thompson, Tumani Kamara, Russell Westbrook, Pat Williams, like that crew. Um, it's it's just a unsustainable level of bad shooting for Keegan and it'll turn and it'll be fine. Now, like is Keegan going to the next step for Keegan? I thought coming into the year was like, is he going to turn into like a real shot creator? Right. Like, can he be somebody that can take some pressure off of everything that De'Aaron Fox and Damana Sabonis have on their plate? I, I don't know if, we've gotten to see that yet just because the shot hasn't fallen. Right. So everything is so predicated upon his shot as a player that we need to see where eventually that fits in. I'm not real worried about Keegan though. And I think there are real reasons for optimism based on what we've seen for the rest of the year. Well, and what he may do in terms of taking things off their plate is if he's the elite defender or can take these big time matchups, that obviously helps those two guys on the defensive end. So maybe he doesn't take 
the offensive creation load, but he takes these defensive matchups. Not that those guys would have been taking the specific matchups, but you know what I'm saying? Like he's expending that energy on the defensive end that maybe is conserving for some other guys. That also may be why he's not shooting it as well right now. Maybe he's adjusting to this role of, I've seen it a lot, like guys I've talked to or we're like, go grab more rebounds. Well, they're going to grab more rebounds and they're working harder on defense and the shot regresses for just a little while while their legs get used to that extra mileage and wear and tear they're putting. Eventually he'll figure it out. Again, this is a hill I'm willing to, like I'm willing to lose on this that he's, that he's a better a good shooter, shooter than this. Yeah, I'm willing right. to lose on that. Okay, next up, the team that you cover. Uh, we're going to talk about Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran together. Perfect. We're going to, uh, ignore the spreadsheet. About, I apologize. Yeah. Thanks for breaking but the rules. Okay. Freaking I, out. I know. Right. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize, but I figure for the Pistons, you know, it might be okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't need my notes quite as much, uh, <laughs> whenever we're talking about the Pistons, because believe it or not, I have watched every minute of every game for a few years now, including this year and all of its luster. Are you ready for D day tomorrow? Uh, the the Wizards Pistons game. I'm. I'll tell you this. I will not be on Twitter during that game. Yeah, don't no blame chance. You. Uh, don't no don't chance. use Twitter. Very bad platform. Uh, okay, Jaden Ivy. I want to start with him. I've actually loved what I've seen from Jaden Ivy this year. <sighs> Every too. time I watch him, I'm like, this dude has gotten better at the things that I wanted him to improve at. Outside of maybe the defense, which we'll talk about momentarily. I think he's gotten a little bit better on defense, but like. Yep. There are some, you know, things that he still has to grow within. The pace of play in ball screens, I think, has improved so much. And that's something I wrote about last year. I thought that from the start of the season until, like, March, I thought that he drastically improved in terms of pace of play in ball screens. He continues to get drastically better at utilizing and unlocking his athleticism as a potential driver, as a potential ball screen player. Uh, the shooting obviously has been continued. Like uh, I know that the numbers say he's shooting like 32% from three right now. I feel like he's fine off the catch still. Like I, I don't really have a problem with him not like trying to shoot catch and shoot threes. Uh, it's the, the little things like the tools, uh, the athleticism, the speed, and then the ability to adjust his pace of play, I think has led to a drastically more efficient player as a whole. And I just, I, I don't know, like up until recently, why they weren't playing him more. Yeah. I mean, that's at the end of the day, if you look at the raw numbers, it's, it's about minutes played. It, he just hasn't, it, the field goal, even per 36 though, the field goal attempts are down. And so that's why even those, but the efficiency is way better, especially from like, he's really grown Sam with his finishing around the rim. He, he's another yeah. guy. I talked about Jalen Williams. It's like the physical, the way he looks. Jay Nivey, everybody talks about the speed and the first step. I thought like you, even last year, he started to show real nuance in the way he attacked defenses in terms of he'll come off a ball screen. He'll put the defender in jail. He'll snake a screen. Those type. He just couldn't, to steal a term you like to use and one I'm stealing from you in general now, he couldn't really decelerate when he got to the rim yeah. and slow himself down. And he would miss layup after layup after layup. And it turns out it wasn't about the touch. He was just going too fast. He couldn't slow himself down. Here are the numbers this year, Sam. Last year from zero to three feet, 58%. This year, 
77%. Last year, three to 10 feet, 33%. This year, 58%. This kid can pressure the rim about as good as anybody you'll watch. And now he's figuring out how to actually capitalize on that when he does get there. He has some real finesse when he gets to the rim. And then speaking on the shooting, he's 39% on catch and shoot threes. Maybe you don't love it. 46% on unguarded catch and shoot threes, which for me is truly the only one he needs to make. Because if he's guarded, he should be attacking that closeout anyway. He shot really good on unguarded catch and shoot threes last year as well. To me, we've seen enough sample to believe in that. Shoot an unguarded catch and shoot three, Jaden. Attack the closeout if somebody gets close to you. And he's been really good once he gets into the lane. He he's the guy that like can really pressure the lane on this team at E. Like it seems like it's easier for him. Like Cade can get to the lane. It's a little bit tougher just because of the way he plays. Jaden just over and over every time he gets into the game. Yeah. Can can you explain for the people why he's like not playing or up until recently wasn't playing as much? Yeah. So like the best we know, or, or I know somebody from the outside is there was a message. It seemed like being sent by Monty Williams that he wanted to hold players accountable specifically for their defense. And I don't really want to get into the big picture of this because it's not a Pistons podcast, but that was it with Jaden Ivey. He was holding Jaden Ivey accountable for his defense. He didn't start the year. Killian Hayes did. Um, recently, Killian had a shoulder injury, set out a game. Jaden was inserted into the starting lineup and he has kept it since Killian has come back since. I think the defense has gotten a little bit better. My worry with Jaden on the defensive end is just the awareness and how much that actually will improve slash can improve. It isn't really an effort thing with Jaden Ivey. It's kind of the fundamentals of things. If you get him just in a true isolation, lots of times he can be pretty good. The most recent game against... Gosh, oh, the the Pacers. He actually had some really good possessions against Tyrese Halliburton. He got some blocks on some jump shots and stuff like that. Even if he can be neutral, I think that's probably good enough. But that essentially, Monty said he was holding him accountable. And for Jaden, that was for his defense or lack of, I guess. Okay, well, if he's going to hold Jaden accountable, I'm going to hold Monty accountable and say, stop playing the guy that shoots 39% from the field, 30% from three when your offense is a train wreck with no space out there. Okay, like, so to steal from the dunker spot, they were talking about this the other day, and this is when it helps to have other good players on the roster, Sam. It would have been a lot easier to stomach Jay Nivey not starting if somebody, let's just say better than Killian Hayes, was starting in his place. It's hard to, like... Even for Jaden, probably, I don't even entirely disagree with Monty wanting to improve Jaden's defense. Like, I don't disagree with that. It's really, really hard to do that when it's Killian Hayes starting over him, who is a little bit overrated defensively himself. Yes, I would agree. Uh, yeah, uh, the less the less I say about this, the better. Um, Jalen Duran, uh, yep. where, where where are you at with Duran? because, you know, obviously has missed like a decent amount of time here. Yeah, he's only played nine games. There's been some ankle stuff. He was kind of in and out of the lineup. He had one game where it's like, man, I hope the ankle is hurt because he does not look very good in this game. And I know that sounds bad, but it's like if he's healthy and this is how he's playing, this isn't good. They finally set him out for a few games. He came back last game, still came off the bench. Dern is a walking double-double, like just because of 
what he is athletically and all of that. He's going to get 10 points tonight. He's going to get 10 rebounds. He's especially a good offensive rebounder. The biggest area for him, for me, continues to be defensively in ball screens. I don't think he values positioning good enough yet in his young career. And he's still a very, very young player, but he's late getting into position all the time. So he can't even play with verticality because he's not in the right position. So he always ends up turned or on the offensive player's side. But the young man is skilled. He's figuring it out. The turnovers have been a little bit of an issue. They have been for Jaden Ivey as well, as somebody in the chat brought up. But they've done some interesting things with Jalen Duran where they let him attack from the top of the key. I think he can be a DHO guy. And about one time a game, he like does this really impressive footwork in the post. The last couple of games, it's been really or this game, and then there was one game he did it to KD. So like he's got some skill, still just kind of figuring all of that stuff out. But in the meantime, he's a walking double double. I want to see the motor uptick a little bit, Sam. And I want to see him value positioning on the defensive end. So the positioning on the defensive end is the thing that just like kills me every time I watch him. And it's very frustrating and annoying. And I think I probably just have to get past it at a certain point um, because he does a lot of valuable things. Like you said, he's killer rebounder, creates a lot of offensive possessions. I will say, I think the turnovers are a real problem. Uh, currently there are two players in the NBA that are averaging at least, and this is as of Friday. So if this is not still true, I apologize. As of Friday, there were still two players in the NBA with a usage rate under 20 that are averaging at least two and a half turnovers per game. Do you know who they are? One is Jalen. I don't know who the other one is. Asar Thompson. Uh, and then on top of it, you have Cade Cunningham leading the NBA in turnovers. You have Jaden Ivey who turns the ball over. Like it's an epidemic in Detroit and it's an epidemic because there aren't a lot of great players around right now. And like you said, having other great players around, I think really helps engender positive offense. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a problem in Detroit. And I think that having the low usage guys that, are also turning the ball over is the, is a real, real issue and a sign of, to me, like structural issues as much as, uh, you know, personnel and talent issues as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, this team is whatever two and 14 right now. Like you say that they're playing the wizards on Monday, as you referred to earlier, a, a game they absolutely need to win. There's, There have been some really, really winnable games, including that Pacers game on whatever Friday night. And the turnovers just come back to, they just don't win on the margins. They don't, they they turn the ball over a lot. They don't shoot a lot of threes. Two guys that are out right now that I was counting on to help with those, Boyan Bogdanovich, Monte Morris, aren't playing. I think maybe the, the mishap with the roster construction was, those guys are old. Bowian especially is older. Monte's had some injury history things. Alec Burks is older. It would have made sense to maybe have some more in place just, just for that. And it didn't happen. And now they've paid the price for it with those guys being out. And it's, it's, it's hurt evaluating the young talent as you've talked about at length. I'm not going to talk about it more. Uh, Next up. uh, Who, who is next? Shaden Sharp. We want to go to Shaden Sharp. Yes, sir. So, Shaden is taking on a lot of usage in 
Portland. Uh, currently, he's averaging 17 points, five rebounds, three assists. He's also shooting 40% from the field, 32% from three. I don't think he like totally, this is the thing that stands out. Like we talked a lot about like Jaden Ivy, like improving his uh, pace of play in ball screens and things like that. I don't think Shaden has quite as much experience using ball screens. And I think he doesn't quite use them as well as he could to gain an advantage. That That's like the biggest thing I look at with Shaden. I think Shaden can shoot like the 32% number. I think is like, he's taking a lot of tough shots. Uh, you know, he's long, he's athletic. He finishes at the rim when he's out in transition, creates transition opportunities as well. I think he is still missing like a decent amount of the nuance, even though he is able to earn that usage through his overall shot creation. Yeah. I mean, he's playing 37 minutes a night, Sam. He's playing a lot of minutes. And, and this all- is where, you know, again, you brought this up a minute ago, having good players is valuable. Like there might not be like a more under the radar critical injury so far this season than Anthony Simons, like yep. them having Anthony Simons around to space the court, to take on real offensive usage that would like completely transform a lot of what's happening in Portland right now. Well, and it hit all at once, right? Like Simons went out and then scoot went out and then Brogdon missed. Uh, I think Brogdon played tonight I checked the box score before we recorded, but, and and Scoot is back as well now. So like, this is all going to round back to what it was earlier in the year, but yeah, I mean, he's second in field goal attempts among sophomores, second in three point attempts, second in free throws, turnovers, third in usage. What I found interesting was going to synergy last season. He was 16% of play types were pick and roll handler. This year it's doubled last year. He was 25% spot ups this year. It's down to 14 and he's excellent. Like I love him off the ball from a Pistons game against Asar Thompson, who I do think is a good defender. He had like very impressive third quarter stretch. When they come back in that game, he goes straight line drive. He curls off the screen. He steps behind for a three. He gets a backdoor after a timeout. Then he steps behind a ball screen. They were doing a lot of this stuff where he was working off pin downs and he's curling into the lane. I thought that's when he looked really good. I don't think it's awful that he's getting some of this on ball usage just to maybe see what he can do. We're going to talk about another player in this mold in just a second, but it's a little bit too much. I think it, I think it was forced on him because of the injuries. I just feel like maybe it's worn him down a little bit and it's just been too much where you would like to just give it like, Hey, we're going to start you with Malcolm or with scoot. And then we'll play you a few minutes at the end of the quarter. Whenever we stagger, not like start of the game, all game long, almost 40 minutes a night. And you're the sole like kind of running of the offense. Even if he was a true on the ball player, Sam, that's a lot for a second year player to ask of him. Yeah, it's like one of those deals where I think that the fact that he has taken on that usage is a positive sign about his future, even if I don't think he has been incredibly effective at actually being used that way, maybe is the fairest way to put it, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I think sometimes people, just anybody can come in and take that many shots and play that many men. Not just, not just anybody is, is made that way. Like not everybody has the mental makeup to do that without completely self-destructing. So the fact that he hasn't, yes, is a positive sign, but I also think it shows his limitations for now 
as a second year player that he's just obviously not ready for that in totality. And that's okay. Yep. And we're going to talk about like, maybe we can compare and contrast him to Dyson Daniels now. Yep. Like Dyson Daniels, I, I think probably has been like a more effective player in terms of wins and losses this season because Dyson is like an elite, elite defender. Wow. But Shaden in his offensive game has been drastically like it, it looks like the upside is just like way, 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 way higher. Right. Yeah. No, listen first. And I realized it was against the jazz and I know people got mad at us because we didn't talk about Keontae George. Like Keontae George is good. He can really shoot it. I still kind of wonder what the ultimate role is. So this isn't a shot at the jazz. They do lead the league in turnovers. I think or second, it's like surely the Pistons actually lead the league in turnovers. I bet Dyson Daniels had 20 deflections slash steals slash block. Like it was insane how often he got his hand on the basketball in that game against the Jazz. It was absolutely incredible. He was so impressive on the defensive end, on the ball, off the ball, passing lanes. He would tag the low. He just did it in every way possible. So I just wanted to give him his flowers defensively first because I like Dyson Daniels defensively coming into the draft that year. What I saw in this game, I was like, oh my gosh, like this dude is crazy impactful. He is one of those dudes where like it almost looks like he's like levitating sometimes (laughs) with his lateral movement. Like he's so fast and so quick at like sliding across the play and like finding these different ways to like keep in front of a person. It looks like somebody's beating him with a crossover and it's like, no, I'm just here. It's fine. I'm six foot eight. I'm too quick. I'm too long. You have no chance. His attention to detail, I think is unbelievable on that end of the court off the ball. Like he's constantly available to me. Like what I always loved about him, he struck me as like the perfect compliment to like CJ McCollum in the backcourt, sure. right? Like you could really, really make him work that way. What have you thought about Dyson's offense so far? And uh, Bryce, I'm sorry, I'm getting a phone call. So you need to go on a quick little uh, 90 second run here. Cause I actually do have to take this one. So go on yeah. a quick one. Yeah, no, I- I'm, a little bit questionable about the offense just in terms of what the ultimate role is. So right now, 40% of his play types are spot up 16% as a pick and roll handler. He only has 16 field goal attempts at the rim in the half court. He's eight of 16. So I just wonder, is he a guy that you're actually going to be able to put the ball in his hands and he's going to operate the offense? Or I don't know that that's what he does. So if he's not that guy, what does he do off the ball is the shooting good enough right now he is 31 percent from the three-point line now he has doubled his attempts in this most recent game i watched he looked confident i think he took six three-point attempts and he looked confident taking them they just didn't go in so i think he's trying to make strides in terms of his willingness to take threes the percentage pretty much stayed the same from last year to this year. I just wonder what the ultimate offensive role is for Dyson Daniels in terms of, is he a guy that can really create? Not New Orleans doesn't really need him to do that, right? They have Zion, they have BI, they have CJ McCollum. So then what does he bring off the ball? And talked about the Orlando, Orlando magic earlier and Anthony black as a guy who I believe in can cut off the ball and maybe he can, uh, 
dial back how important the shooting is because he's a good off the ball mover, cutter, offensive rebounder. I wonder if that's something Dyson Daniels can do. In a couple of games I watch, I have those notes. So he has a nice backdoor cut and then a drive and a floater in this past game. Valanchunas is posting up. He cuts from the top of the key. I also wonder if that floater is something that he can really rely on. So Sam, what I was kind of trying to decipher here is, is he good enough to play on the ball as his role offensively? Do the Pelicans need him to do that with Zion, B.I., and C.J.? And if not, is he good enough with what he does off the ball to fill that role offensively as probably not as a shooter, but can he be a good enough cutter, offensive rebounder, those type of things? Well, the thing he does is he makes quick decisions and moves the ball, which is really valuable with all of these guys, right? Like what it comes down to is the shooting at the end of the day, right? Like you have to be able to shoot. If you can't shoot, things change for you in the NBA. Uh, Teams will not guard you. Now, like I think Dyson does an okay job of like taking up the space that is given to him when players play off of him and then being able to make like reads off of that once, you know, his man comes back to him. But if guys are playing off of you, it's harder to actually make high level passing reads because they just don't come available. They're just going to let your man like sit on you and you're not going to actually force a whole lot of help. Right. As with everything in the NBA now, it does come back to shooting. And if Dyson Daniels is going to be a, you know, what is he right now? He's like a 27% three point shooter, even though, you know, I agree with your point that he has been more willing to take them this year, which is like absolutely true. He needs to be a 35% three point shooter. If he's a 35% three point shooter, he is a 30 minute per game guy and he will make like five all defense teams. He's going to be unbelievable. Uh, defensively is where I'm at. Like among players who have been in the NBA for like three years or fewer, I don't think there is a guard with higher defensive upside than Dyson. And that includes Jalen Suggs, who I think has a real case as being like the best defensive guard in the NBA so far this season. Dyson's upside on that end is legitimately like he is the best perimeter defender in the NBA, I think. And he plays on a team with Herb Jones, who I think also has a case as like being the best perimeter defender in the NBA to this point this season. I know the advanced numbers for some reason don't love Herb, but you watch the games and you're just like, oh my God, this guy's flying around everywhere. Like Dyson's ceiling on that side of the court is unbelievably high. I specifically watched that game today, the Magic, not the Magic, the Jazz Pelicans for this recording. I just wanted to get some more notes on him and then also on a guy we'll talk about later, Walker Kessler. I knew Dyson was good defensively, Sam. I was, I had high expectations and he surpassed those in like the first quarter with his impact. And this Pelicans team is fascinating to me in terms of the guys they have that can really defend, but maybe you wonder about their offense or guys that can really score, but you wonder about their defense and like, how do they put it all together? And then what are these guys going to look like in a playoff setting on both ends of the floor? Like, can you play Dyson Daniels because he's good defensively, but can you play him offensively or Jordan Hawkins, who again, I love and really shot the ball well in that game. He can bring you something offensively, but is he going to be able to hold up defensively as a rookie in the playoffs on down the line? I just, that Pelicans team is really fascinating to me. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, okay. Next up, Jeremy Sohan. And this is just like an annoying conversation for me at this point. Cause I, I yeah. love Jeremy Sohan. He, like I, I think I was higher on him than anybody in the pre-draft process. I think I was higher on him than anybody else last year. And I don't like the way the Spurs are using him. I don't like the point guard experiment. I don't think it's working. I don't think that it's effective in terms of development. Like people will bring up this idea of, yeah, but like the Bucks played Giannis at point guard and, uh, you know, the Warriors would play Dre at point guard and uh, all of these other players that fit like a potential Jeremy Sohan archetype were able to come in and step in and, you know, get the development necessary they need to play point guard. The problem is that the Spurs are in a different boat than a lot of those other teams. And you can say, like, they're not trying to win games right now, right? They're still trying to develop their roster around Jeremy. And having him responsible for initiating a lot of the offense, in my opinion, is leading to a lot of stagnant offense because teams don't really care about his rim pressure ability. They're not all that worried about his passing because I think that he is a solid playmaker not like an elite level passer like he sees reads but he's not he's not draymond green out there you know what i mean yeah so he can't shoot as well like i think the idea is like if we put him on the ball the shooting issue becomes minimized a little bit now i know what the numbers say on sohan this year in terms of the shooting like he's made 38 percent of his threes it's because a lot of them are like extremely extremely open so I'm struggling because a lot of this conversation has to be based around the point guard conversation. When in reality, I would love to talk about like, he's great at like grabbing and going and pushing in transition and playing great defense. Like you can use him as a defensive stopper. He's six, nine with seven foot two wingspan. And you can have him guard Luka Doncic. You can have him switch onto guards. You can have him guard up to the fours and like occasionally small fives. There, there's so much versatility and flexibility within his game. I love Jeremy Sohan. Like I, I do. I just do not think he has been utilized in an effective manner this season. And it's annoying and frustrating. Well, I think why I don't like it. Well, one, because it hasn't worked and you want it. Like they have a point guard who it does work at least a lot better with on that roster. Also, because I want to know what Jeremy Sohan is when he's not a point guard. How about we figure that out also and how good he can be in that role? And maybe yeah. I'm the only one that still has some questions about what that is. But let's let's see what it looks like with what him at the three with Wimby at the four and um Collins at exactly. the five. Yeah. Do do you know what's a more important skill for Jeremy Sohan to develop? Making catch and shoot threes. Yeah. Like, no, if, like if you're going down the road of yeah, we want to develop Jeremy Sohan. We want to, you know, improve his ability to make high-level passing reads, et cetera, et cetera. By far, the most important thing for him moving forward is making catch-and-shoot threes, yeah. in my like, opinion. Uh, no, no, I, I would just say, in general, being able to play off of Wimby. Like, that's what he needs. Not him playing point guard, him being able to play off the ball and knock down catch-and-shoot threes or cut off Wimby when he gets doubled or attack the offensive glass or whatever it is. 
And that's why I don't like this because it's he's playing a role that I just don't believe he's ever going to actually play. So what are we doing? It's not good for the team. It's not good for Wimby. And I don't personally think it's good for him either. And you're right. What it does is, and, and I guess in the day, it doesn't matter what the narratives are or what we talk about. We're talking about this instead of talking about one of the biggest reactions I got when talking to some people was like, this dude will hound the ball defensively up and down the floor. I talked to somebody from the Thunder yet again, and they were like, I've never seen somebody hound SGA full court the way so, and like frustrating He does it with Luca too. Yes, like those are two of the 10 best players in the NBA, five best players, seven best players, like MVP candidate level dudes. And Jeremy Sohan is frustrating them, making them work, wearing them down. That is crazy impactful. So he probably doesn't have the energy to go play point guard anyway. Like I just take him off the ball, let Trey Jones run it. We all know the on-offs and the plus minus between those guys with Wimby and, and all of that. Like I'm sure well, they're, they're, and it's drastic, there's gobs but of like, data. So, so here's, here's the thing. So Spurs fans will point you to, Oh, what about the last, you know, seven or eight games, right? where, you know, the Spurs got obliterated off the court or got obliterated with the starters against other starters. And then Trey came in and like made it fine. If you limit it to the last 10 games of which I believe Trey has played seven or eight, I can't remember off the top of my head. Sohan and Wemby combinations are a minus 19.1. Sohan and Trey combinations are a plus 7.3 Trey and Wemby combinations are minus 9.2 okay in the four games in that sample if you move Vassell Jones and Wemby together it is 114.4 versus 95.6 so like drastically plus over the last 10 games Keldon Vassell, Jones, Sohan, and Wemby have only played, you know, three of those games, like three rotations, but they're like a plus 30 in those minutes. The debate for me is, are those numbers a matter of who you take off, where you're taking off either a lot of the time, one of Keldon or Vassell or one or Zach Collins, basically. Or Sohan sometimes too. Or is it a matter of who you're putting on in Trey Jones? I think it's a matter of who you're putting on because I think Trey Jones like moves the ball and you can look at the numbers and say, oh, Trey Jones isn't actually doing a lot out there. His usage is not high. Like he's this, that, and the other thing. But to me, he is getting downhill penetration. He is moving the ball quickly so that the defense is still in motion and then letting other guys get penetration. It looks easier for everybody on the court, in my opinion, when Trey Jones is out there. And I get like, to me, what I would do is I would probably bring Keldon Johnson off the bench personally, or with Devin Vassell out, I would just keep, Keldon in the game and, you know, go Trey Jones, you know, with the four starters that aren't Devin Vassell, right? That, that to me makes sense. Um, 
I don't know. Like it's look, it's to me like that's that's the reasonable thing to do. Like they've moved like Malachi Branham and Julian Champagny into the starting lineup. Like give these dudes a point guard for the love of God. Just give them a point guard. Yeah, I just had to laugh and, and basketball reference position estimates aren't always right. It was just funny to me that last year, all of his minutes, most of them were at power forward, but were small forward, power forward, center. And then this year, none of his minutes are at either of those positions. They're all point guard and shooting guard. I'm like, how often, like that in itself seems like a crazy ask of any player, regardless of their skill type to go, hey, play all of your minutes at this position as a rookie. And then we're going to take you and put all of your minutes at a completely different position as yeah. a sophomore or in your second year. So I, I listen, Pop is way, way, way smarter than me. And I'm sure this is going to turn out and be perfect. I just don't necessarily love it. Yeah. Like, and then like the other thing is like a lot of the Spurs fans that are like, yeah, this is fine. This is all good. They'll then turn around and be like, well, yeah, like it's great. We're going to end up with, with Isaiah Collier. <laughs> and it's like, well, if you're going to get Isaiah Collier, what's the point of having Jeremy so on a point guard? Like, yes, yes exactly. <laughs> I, I, I just, yeah. Like to me, it's, it's valuing Sohan's development over the development of everybody else. And that's like, I don't think players respond well to that personally, but like, you know, I'm sure Jeremy seems like a great dude. Like I'm sure that like, nobody's mad at Jeremy. Like I'm, that's not what I'm saying when I say that. I just wonder what is going to be the ultimate development in his game from playing him. If this is what happens, 82 games at point guard, like that's, I guess that's what I want to understand better. I understand valuing his development to a point, right? It can't be overly detrimental to everybody else. What is the ultimate gain for playing him at point guard as opposed to playing him at the three or the four or as a small ball five? So, where so I, I, You have that answer? My, my theory Okay. Is that he'll gain processing, like the ability to like think through the game a little bit quicker. And again, like the the main guy that people bring up here is Giannis, right? Like the Bucks would play Giannis at point guard when he was super young and like try to make that work. Um, I don't know about you, Bryce, but when I watch Giannis, what stands out about Giannis to me is not like, and I don't mean to diminish Giannis's feel, but I don't sit there and go, oh, this is a guy that used to play point guard. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, like I said, that's not, my first instinct isn't that that necessarily worked, though. So, so like, when I watch Giannis, I'm like, oh, this is a guy who put on 50 pounds from the time he first got into the NBA, grew two inches, and now looks like, you know, one of the Greek statues that are, like, from his home country, right? Like, that's, like, it's easy to, it's easy to be an elite transition player when you're the biggest, like, physical mismatch in the NBA. So like I say this to say, I don't know how much playing point guard helped Giannis. <laughs> like, like maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. I don't know necessarily. It's what happened. So like, I'm sure if you would ask him, Oh yeah. Like, did this help you? He'd be like, yeah, for sure. For sure. Cause Giannis is like the greatest guy in the world. But like, if you do that versus something else that didn't happen, like would the result have been different? I don't think it would have been because Giannis still would have put on two extra inches, 50 more pounds and become the biggest physical mismatch in the NBA. So it, I, I just, yeah, that's where, that's where my head's at on this. I need to stop talking about it. Bryce. Yeah. No, I think we're in the same spot though. Okay. Uh, we have two more left, I think, right? 
Two? I, th- I think there's three. Two big men and, and Christian Brown. Okay. Let's do the two bigs together, maybe, okay. if you don't mind that. Yeah, Mark um, Williams and Walker Kessler. So we're going to talk about Mark Williams. I think Mark Williams has been the breakout sophomore He's of the good. season so far. He has been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, particularly, he has taken incredibly well to the combination of him and LaMelo Ball and ball screens. Uh, this yep. was why personally i liked them drafting mark williams over jalen duran uh it's because i thought that he would be an elite level lob threat uh and finisher for Lamelo in ball screens and i liked his positional defense a little bit more than i liked jalen's positional defense coming out of college uh in addition he has just like the freakish seven foot seven wingspan and measurements to be like a crazy drop coverage defender uh the defense has been Okay, I would say it yeah. hasn't been like incredible or anything, but I am so impressed with what he is capable of offensively. I think he has been absolutely, uh, you know, maybe not the best rim runner in the NBA to this point. Uh, he has been as good as you could possibly ask for for a second year rim runner uh, out of ball screens as a partner with Lamelo. Yeah, no, uh, everything you said offensively, uh, my one thing defensively, as I look through my notes was at times he gets a little jumpy and gets him yeah. out of position. And so it was, it must've been the Mavs game and, oh no, sorry. It was the Knicks game and he was going after some block shots and, and you can't do that against the Knicks because they have the best offensive rebounder or one of the best offensive rebounders in the yes. NBA and Mitchell Robinson. So you have to be real careful about just chasing blocks and then also against the Hawks, he did the same thing where he would go after Trey and DeJounte. They'd get him up in the air and then they would just dump it off to Capella and Onyeka. So he just has, listen, it's first real substantial minutes, consistent, you know, 43 games last year, 20 minutes a game, 27 minutes a game this season. I think he'll improve and learn from that. I, I don't want to take away from all the stuff you said. I agree with everything you said. I just wanted to, you know, be fair with how I've evaluated as well. That was the one thing I would like to see growth throughout the season. But he is a top, what is he, a top 10 in the NBA in rebounds. That's not sophomores. That's in the entire NBA, one of the top field goal percentage in the NBA. He, he's been really good. I, I've loved what I've seen from Mark Williams. And everybody you talk to is like, this guy is massive. He is so tall and long and he can move. It's 100% right. I have been so impressed with Mark. I think he's been phenomenal this season. Uh, you know, he's averaging 14 points, 10 rebounds, 1.4 assists. Uh, the, the next step for him, I think, will be like short role playmaking. Like, if he can sure. really start to become like a great short role playmaker, that would be a really, really big benefit for him. But he, he just finishes everything. Like, that's yep. <laughs> that's what makes it easy. Like, being, you know, six foot or being seven foot one, seven foot two with a seven foot seven wingspan and one of the biggest standing reaches in the league, he's able to finish everything. And then when he adds the positional defense on top of it, he's going to be really good. He's going to yep. be really, really good. I think. Yep. I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, let's go to the other side of that equation though, which is Walker Kessler, who I think has been a bit disappointing this year yep. for some jazz fans. What has been your impression of Walker to this point? Yeah, so, I mean, offensively, listen, I think Walker has been similar to what he was as a rookie, but he kind of jumped 
I don't want to say out of nowhere, but he exceeded expectations. And then so we're always looking for growth, right? We want to see improvement. The field goal percentage is way down. I don't know that I necessarily have an answer for that. I'm interested to see if you have an explanation for why the field goal percentage is down. But the numbers across the border are kind of essentially the same. He's a really good offensive rebounder. Again, from that game that I just watched against the Pelican, like it was just insane. His effort going after rebounds outside of his area and just even the ones he got a hand on that maybe he didn't come up with. So, and I actually think he's a good mover without the ball, like in the dunker spot and some of those things. What I found interesting was just he's only 8% in pick and roll roll man of his play types via synergy. I thought that was really interesting that he just isn't being used kind of in the same way that Mark Williams is being used. Now, completely different guard play, right? Completely, we've talked about this. That's, completely. The, that, that's why. Yeah, like we, just, we just need to pinpoint it. That's why. Yeah. And so maybe that's just the offensive stuff in general. This is a guy, I don't want to say he's flawed offensively because I don't know that anybody expected him to pick and pop and ISO post and stuff like that anyway. Going in, there's these guys who you just know they need a pick and roll ball handler to get them a lot of their looks right now with all due respect to all of those guards. I don't think he had, he definitely doesn't have anybody as good as Luca with Derek Lively or LaMelo with um, Mark Williams and, and those type of guys. And so the offense just may not be super special until he is playing with a guy like that. So here, here's my take on the offense for Kessler. Uh, I think that it has gotten harder for him. If you actually look at the numbers, and this will come via play-by-play stats, Daryl Blackboard site, um, his shot quality is actually a little bit easier this season. Okay, He's taken a slightly higher percentage of his shots around the basket, and his average two-point shot distance this year is actually about a half foot closer to to the rim. Okay. But I think it's exactly what you said. I think he's not getting nearly as many easy opportunities. I think that most of his shots at the basket are contested right now. Like, I I think that if you're a pick and roll man and you're diving to the rim and you have a, you know, head of steam and everything, a lot of those are going to turn into non-contested opportunities. I feel like when I watch Kessler, a lot of them do feel like he's being kind of guarded a little bit or like there's another guy in that spot, which is making it a little bit more difficult or like he has to finish over the top of somebody, right? Uh, Like a lot of it is like putbacks right now, right? Where like he's trying to like, he gets the rebound over somebody and he's like trying to float the ball up over the top. Sure. Right. Um, yeah. Or like he's in the dunker spot and like, you know, he's got, got a guy like rotating down. Right. It just feels like it's a little bit harder for him than it is for somebody like Mark. Uh, having said that, I don't think the touch has been great sure. for what, you know, it, it could or should be. And obviously last year he was not a guy that like ran a crazy number of ball screens. He ran like, you know, a a ball screen or two per game. It felt like to me. And a lot of the time he was in the dunker spot in offensive rebounding position, like very similarly to what it is now. It just feels like to me, it hasn't been quite as easy, I guess this year. And I guess there's a tad concern with that, right? Because at times you're going to have to be able to finish those too, right? Like it's great to 
be able to pick and roll and catch a lob and all of that, but it would be nice to be able to grab an offense, a contested offensive rebound, and then have the touch to finish over that contest or be in the dunker spot. Your man steps up, but then he's able to recover and still finish mm-hmm. that even though they come back for the contest. So there is a limit on the ceiling if all you can do is kind of finish those quote unquote open dunks you know, uncontested lobs and those things, as opposed to when a defense is recovering or a a smaller guy's coming down, getting into your lower body, swiping at the ball. And that, you know, causes you to lose your balance and your touch there. So if it continues to be an issue, because we have a little bit of a small sample size with him, he's only played eight games. That's something that's a little bit concerning because you want a guy who yes, can finish those open ones, but also a guy that has enough touch around the rim, especially if he's not going to be able to space the floor and those type of things to finish with that touch over some of these contests that we're talking about. Yep. Uh, That's really all I have on Kessler. Let's move to Christian Brown. Uh, Christian Brown has taken a very solid step forward, in my opinion, for what the role is. Like he has been asked to come in and play more minutes than what he did last season. He's playing about seven more minutes per game than what he did last season. And he's doing so on a team that look, I know they're 10 and six right now. To me, this is the best team in the league. Uh, you know, they're dealing with, uh, you know, obviously like a Jamal Murray injury right yep. now that is causing some issues. And then I think KCP and Aaron Gordon, like they're dealing with like, I think like, I think like ankle foot, like stuff like that, both of them. And, you know, it's become an issue for them, like staying healthy, but Christian Brown comes in off the bench every game and gives them energy, plays high level defense, rebounds the ball and has now started to knock down shots. If he's going to be a 40% three point shooter, he is an incredibly valuable player in my opinion. And and look like in a vacuum is Christian Brown, like better than Ben Matherin. I would say he's probably been like a more valuable player toward winning this year than Matherin. But like, I, I think that his role in the general ecosystem of the NBA is more important and is worth talking about given that he's going to play a critical role on the team that I think is probably best suited toward winning the NBA title as long as they stay healthy. Well, and that's like, he's going to play a huge role because I think, you know, the five starters we've talked about, Reggie Jackson has looked pretty good in the games I've watched. I think he had a, a difficult game in their last one. Christian Brown is their next best player. Like, and so he's going to play a lot of minutes and he's going to play a vital role. And so just real quick, the numbers, he's doubled his field goal attempts, kept a field goal percentage. Three-point attempts have gone up just a tad, 43% from three. That's a major jump. Free throw attempts and free throw percentage has gone up. Rebounds, assists, everything across the board. Doesn't really turn the ball over. Here's my question, Sam. So right now, Christian Brown is shooting 43% from three on 1.8 attempts. What are the minimums for attempts and percentage for a team to say, this guy is a threat, this guy is a floor spacer, this is a guy we respect, and not just be labeled a non-shooter? Because there's under two attempts for me, you can essentially be shooting almost anything and teams are going to be like, hey, shoot 10 tonight and let's see what you, how many you make. Like prove it on 10 attempts. That's right. 
where, where do the attempt, like, is it three, three and a half, four? Is it 37, 38%? Where, where's kind of the general range with those numbers for you? For 22 minutes a game, I would say four. Okay. Uh, having said that, in the percentage, I think it has to be like 37 or so, 36, 37. Uh, I do think that his aggression as a cutter does make him somebody that like, if you got it down to three attempts per game, like 22 minutes or so, you still might have to like pay attention and like keep track of him because he's just constantly moving. Like he's, it's really valuable. Like the fact that he's constantly moving, like there's a reason that he has become like a really useful player. And it's because like, he's just constantly flying around. Like if you look at his, if you look at his like last, like four games up until that Houston loss over the weekend, he has been like absolutely fantastic. He's been like tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. Like he's been, uh, if you look at from, November 14th to the 22nd. So like basically a week, he played 26 minutes a night, averaged 15 points, five rebounds and 1.4 assists while shooting 55, 59% from the field and then dropped like, you know, seven of eight from three or whatever he did. So like if he's doing that, great, let's go. Like, you know, 15 points a game and 25 minutes a night playing off the ball, cutting, not needing a whole lot of usage. I mean, it's, it's hard to not guard him at that point. Well, and you brought up a good point. One thing that is difficult whenever you are, quote unquote, not guarding a guy is it's real easy to lose track of him when he cuts, when his shot goes up and he goes to the offensive boards. And that's stuff that Christian Brown is really, really good at. And so you have to stay a little bit more attached because if you get too locked in on Jokic, now you have the best passer in the league passing the ball to that guy who's cutting in behind you or, you know, whatever. So it, yeah. it, it, it adds a little bit to it whenever you're that good of an off the ball mover. And so I, I it was just a kind of a general question. Like I, I do this with Isaiah Stewart with the Detroit Pistons. I think he's over 40% right now on right around four attempts. I'm like, when are people going to start respecting him? And I'm not saying they should. I'm just, I'm curious. Is it going to take a whole year sample size of him shooting 40% on four attempts? You know, or does it ever happen? Do people ever trust it? So I'm always intrigued to see when do teams start respecting somebody as a floor spacer? Um, so they're playing right now. And I just happened to look at the box score. Uh, Victor Wembenyama tonight. So the Spurs lost because obviously they lost. Um by the way, plus minus in that game, Trey Jones plus 14, Jeremy Sohan minus 14, uh, FYI. Uh, Victor Wembenyama tonight, 22 points, 11 rebounds, two assists, six steals, four blocks. Wait, say that again? Six steals, four blocks? Yes. 22, 11, two, six, and four. And he must have had like a poster dunk. Like I just got a notification earlier as we were recording about Victor Wimbenyama does something. So yeah, uh, let, let's see if we can find this. Uh, oh my goodness! Oh Jeremy. yeah, uh, he threw down like a lob. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Um, Reggie Jackson went up and tried to contest. Oh, uh, Reggie, it didn't go well for Reggie, unfortunately. And there's also a hilarious clip of uh, 
Jalen Pickett shook his hand for the first time, Wemby. And then like, there's a little thing like where he's like pointing to the, oh my God, like his hands are this big. Like he like couldn't believe it. Um, Roach Red says in the YouTube comments that Jeremy didn't play in the second half either. Um, so there we go. But yeah, yeah uh, looked a little bit better in the second half. Uh, yeah, we shall, uh, we shall see. Uh, okay, Bryce. Look, we didn't talk about Ben Matherin. Like, to me, like, there's just not a whole lot, like, interesting to talk about with Matherin. That's why, like, I I don't mean to say that Ben is worse than all of the guys that we talked about here. When I say that, like, we didn't talk about Ben. It's just that he's the same guy he was last year. (laughs) Like, there hasn't been any tangible growth, in my opinion, like, in one way or another. And he just has been who he's been. So he's averaging 13 points and, you know, getting four rebounds and has two assists per game. And he's taken a bunch of shots. Like that's who Ben has been so far. He needs to become a great shooter, not just like a, you know, 34% three point shooter is where I'm at. Uh, He's starting now, which has been good. Like he's been a piece of, the best offense in the league, but also like a real piece of the worst defense in the league. Uh, I don't know if they're still last in defense, but they're 29th. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, like I, it's just that there hasn't been a lot interesting to talk about with Ben. Yeah. And listen, Ben math was, was my guy in that class. Like I just, I, I, I bought into the shooting a little bit more and, at the start of his rookie season, it looked like I was going to be really right. And then things just kind of, regress to the mean with that and I think I bought into the defense being better than what it's been I thought maybe there was some real like intensity and competitiveness and just the athleticism that he has where maybe that stuff would all translate in the positive way and then some of the negative stuff out of college wouldn't you know that was just like me taking a chance and I was wrong or I've been wrong thus far I still think he can be a valuable piece like I think he's obviously like an NBA you know rotation player like you know starter maybe he's better suited as a six man that comes in and is allowed just to go crazy and take up a bunch of usage in that way the efficiency has to get better I I still would like to see him be better defensively yeah if we do another one of this uh I'll be interested to maybe talk about AJ Griffin I would imagine AJ is about to step into like a bigger role with uh Jalen Johnson missing some real minutes here I mean, Memphis, like this is a big draft for Memphis and like Jake Laravia just keeps getting hurt. It feels yep. like, and Dave Roddy has just been like, not impressive in any way. Malachi Branham has not been impressive to me. Uh, Tar Eason missed a bunch of time early. He's still kind of getting back. It feels like Nemhard, I think has been kind of who he is. He just hasn't made a lot of made quite as many shots. It feels like, uh, two guys that I do want to bring up though that I think are worth talking about as like either late or undrafted guys. Jabari Walker has been fun. He popped Blazers. to me the last time I watched them play as well. Cutter rim runner, athletic, like, athletic, you know, has knocked down some threes here and there. I've really enjoyed the Jabari Walker experience. Like shout out to Jabari. He was a guy that I liked quite a bit coming into the draft as like an interesting second rounder. And you know, he's, playing well do you know who the second guy i'm gonna bring up is 
No, I, I wasn't. So it's funny. I wanted to bring up, like, I knew Walker wasn't going to make like our top 12, but literally from my notes, the last time I watched, looks big and athletic, done some nice things, been productive, probably one of the more impressive players in this game for the Blazers. Th- those were my notes on him from that yeah. game. So he's a guy like when I check box scores now, I'm always like, okay, what did Jabari do tonight? He keeps it simple, man. Like yeah. I, he, he keeps it simple in the best possible way. And I think he's been impressive. The last guy is Jacob Gilliard. Oh. Like, look, Jacob's like 26 and, you know, I don't even remember what draft he entered, to be honest. But it, there have been some real moments where, like, he's kept the Grizzlies offense, like, flowing and alive. And for a dude that's like five foot nine, who I think he ended up as the all time leader in steals in college basketball history, um, he, he's really, like, moved the ball around and been, like, a huge huge piece of like, they're, they're not staying above water right now, but when he's been in the starting lineup, I've been like, okay, their ball is moving better. Things are going a little bit better. It seems a little cleaner, crisper, everything like that. Yeah. Uh, Gilliard was, listen, I had people like, Hey, you need to go watch this kid. You need to go watch this kid. I'm like, he's five foot nine. He's five foot nine. And like, shout out to him for making it right. Like this is like good for him because it's, it is not easy to make it in today's NBA at that any era of NBA, like scratch that. I don't care what era of the NBA to be that size. I don't care how many injuries the Grizzlies have had, like any of that stuff, like throw it all out the window. Shout out Jake. Jake, Like I wasn't a believer. Good for him. Like good for him for what he's doing. And you know, who knows what it'll turn into, but like shout out Jacob Gilliard. I also want to give a shout out to my guy, Drew Smith down with the Miami heat towards ACL out for, yeah, awful. He was he was getting to play a little bit. And, you know, I think, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't have like a great year, but he was one of those guys that like he seemed like a heat guy. You brought, you brought up Highsmith earlier. You know, they always have these guys that end up playing well for them that you don't really know. Drew's a kid out of Missouri, bounced around on some two ways, made the 15 man roster, just a freak thing where he landed on a piece of paper underneath a coach's chair and, and you know, Torres ACL. So I uh, just wanted to the, give it was in Cleveland. They have like a yeah. raised court yes. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, I would prefer that we remove the raised court for what so it's worth. weird. Yeah. It feels dangerous every time I see it. Like it's such an unnecessary risk to have a raised court. In my opinion. Um, I still don't really understand the efficacy of why people do it. And I, I would just really think that the league should like force teams to not raise their court up a little bit just for a player safety perspective. Yeah. I I just wanted to give Drew a shout out. So, uh, last question here from Derek Brown in the comments. I saw Bob Carrington on a mock at number 10. That's crazy. I'm a Pitt fan. Do you think he really will go that high? First off, shout out Pitt rocking the sweater today. Uh, retro sweater. I love it. Do I think he will go that high? I don't, I don't Um, think he'll go that high either. I think there's a chance he's a one and done, but I think people are really hunting right now for prospects as Brace and I have talked about ad nauseum. I feel like I I did not like the Bob Carrington games against Florida and uh, was it Oregon state this weekend? Who was it? Might've been Oregon state. I think I should know this and I don't, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. I believe it was Oregon state. I'll look while we're talking, but um, the Florida game, like there were five possessions I counted where Bob just like came down 
and like chuck that thing up without like considering passing the ball. Uh, he, it's funny. Like the guy he reminds me of, of is like, if you took Tyrese Halliburton and like removed the elite touch and like the pure unselfishness, like just in terms of being like a six foot five creative guard who like loves the jump pass, doesn't have like an incredible left hand, um, has to get everything back to the right is like a big thing with Bob. Like every time I watch him, I'm like, Oh no, like he's just getting it back to the right every time. Um, definitely an upside guy worth tracking could be a one and done like very much. And and I'm like really intrigued by the fact that he can be like a six foot five ball handler. Who's like creative. And he's very clearly like very talented. Give me the, give me the under on or the over, I guess on 10. Yeah. I don't think I would have him or no, I shouldn't say I I don't have him 10 either. Um, I definitely came around, I, I guess. Maybe it's it's all based on expectation. I was waiting waiting for the Florida game. I came away a little bit more okay with the Florida game just because like it was his first game against that level of competition. Yeah. And I think Florida's really good. And I think you I can do too see, for what it's worth. Yeah, I think they got a lot of really fun players just in general as well. I think what Bub is gonna have to figure out is teams loading up against him now. Like the competition wasn't great the first four games. Scouting report wasn't out as much. And now you're going to play against high level competition that's going to load up and say, we're not letting you be us. We're not going to let you get these shots off. I think he struggled to shoot in, in one of those games as well. So it, it, I'm, I'm even, I said those were important data points for him. I thought the Florida was a huge game for him. I came away a little bit more because I still thought he did some good things. I actually, kind of like his defense like some of the things he does defensively um, some of them yeah some of them what i want to see now is the next data point for me is now that he knows these things going into games he's seen it he's felt it how does he adjust is he able to just attack downhill with his left yep. is he able to throw left hand hook passes the same way he throws a right hand hook pass can he get to the lane and finish does the shooting come around does the defense you know all of those things so yeah, he's very intriguing. Now it's, okay, you've seen it. How can you adjust and grow and improve? I, I tend to give guys the benefit of the doubt the first time they have to go up against it, then what happens the second, third, and so on. It's a great way to finish it, Bryce. Uh, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, so at Motor City Hoops on Twitter, Pistons content here and there, but more and more just general NBA, NBA draft. So give that a follow. And then if you are a Pistons fan, the Pistons Pulse uh, dropping live on Tuesday evenings normally and then on podcasts on Wednesday with my guy Omari Sankofa the second, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Sam, it was a lot of fun. I love this. You have me watching so much basketball. I enjoy it. <laughs> NBA, college, NBL, G League, all over the place. Um, it's great. And movies. Now you have me watching movies. So uh, as long as I can get you into the idea of cinema, that's the goal. Uh, okay. So what I have coming for this week, I'm going to try and do a top 100. I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm going to get to it. Just being completely transparent. Um, having said that on this YouTube channel, and it won't go up on the podcast feed, but on the YouTube channel, I will have a Jalen Suggs breakdown for Monday morning. Uh, I will also at some point this week do a Cam Thomas breakdown, which I've been promising for a while. I'm aware uh, I do finally have like enough of a runway and the equipment thing has been fixed to where 
I'm going to d- jump into the Cam Thomas experience, which was fun for those eight games. Uh, I'm also kind of grabbing tape for college guys and for G League guys. I'm debating whether or not I want to do a draft thing on here. I'm still trying to figure out what exactly is going on there. Um, I will let you guys know at the very least what will be coming and when. But what I can definitely promise you are Jalen Suggs and Cam Thomas breakdowns. And then I will also have podcasts here like this week, like for sure. Having said that, I've not yet told Bryce this, but I'm going on vacation for a week, uh, like the week before Christmas. So Bryce and I may have to do some recording ahead of time uh, in order to make sure you guys have pods. So it's going to be a busy couple of weeks on my end, but I'm excited nonetheless. That's what you need to know. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you.